0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 428 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. Today, we're going to continue our discussion with Hilary Moore Hebert about young horses. Angela Jackson and Rebecca Mingarey are with us from the North American Young Rider Championships and to talk about their long standing relationship as trainer and rider. And we're going to answer some follow up questions to a previous total saddle fit tip of the week. This is Reese Koffler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky.
2: And this is Philip Parks from Rocco. And you're doing the Dressage Radio Show. Nice job on the intro there, Reese.
1: Hey, thanks. Yeah, we're having some technical problems with Phil tonight. So we uh so I took took his role. I prefer to give it to him. But we're we're glad to be here with you guys. And uh it's been a big week, huh, Phil? In the news.
2: It's been very busy. Well, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been on the show, so Right. Um, right. You know, some big stuff happening in, in Germany. We want to c- congratulate Laura Graves and her horse for on on winning the Aachen Grand Prix Special uh, on her 30th birthday, leading the USA to Nations Cup Silver in Aachen, right behind Germany, which is, I think, always gold in, in Aachen. That's their home ground. They love to win there. But, uh, I mean, that's a huge deal for Laura to, uh, to kind of beat um, Olympic gold medalist, o- Omaha world champion, title winner isabel worth and her horse weigold so i think that was you know congratulations usa you know you're you're up there you're contending and you're uh you're in silver there at that show Um, that was
1: huge and laura moved to number two in the world ranking list and that's been the highest someone's an american has been oh i read it and i don't have it written down but in a very long time so that is so exciting for laura and we're so proud of her and she's such a a huge supporter of our show so we're we're sending it back to her so that was really great and also i mean great scores coming out of it of that show for the u.s team adrian lyle uh that was her you know one of her first I think it was our third CDI with her stallion. Uh, and they were 73.608. Olivia Legoy-Weltz on the Lenoir finished 12th with a 72.118. Congrats to her. That's a heck of a score. Casey Perry-Glass on Dublay also was a 71.6. So uh, as you well, guys know. All
2: riders over yes, 70% for the American team now. That's
1: huge. And and all those riders are good supporters of us here on the show. So we're so happy for them and, and, and really proud uh, of their experience in Europe. So, uh, looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that, but Phil, we're going to continue. We had a great discussion going with Hillary Moore uh Hebert, on our last show, and we're going to finish that discussion up about young horses. So we hope you guys enjoy our discussion. Well, tonight we are so happy for part duh for Philip, part two for the Americans. Uh, Hillary Moore Hebert, contributing editor for Dressage Today, is back on to finish our conversation about young horses. Hillary, welcome back. Hi, everyone. Well, you're going to start us off right from where we we ended last uh, last week. So go for it.
0: Yes. So the next question I had, cause we were talking about young horses and sort of the stages of how to get them into a program where they could be doing dressage in some way or another is if you were to, under the guidance of professionals, get a young horse and then have it be that they, you know, lived out their young months and everything. Um, I guess the, the, The first question is, um, you know, what is sort of the standard for putting them under saddle and just in terms of like a timeline and when to start that and how long to do it for, and then how long should you expect that to last? So when would they be really suitable for a skilled rider that's comfortable with, um, you know, a greener horse under saddle?
2: Okay. Well, I can tell you kind of exactly exactly um, you know, how we do it at the farm where I work at and, and it works pretty good. So normally in the fall of their two year old year, we bring them in and get, get them introduced to the idea just of the, of the schedule of things sort of thing. You know, So we bring them in, we brush them, we do their feed. And then that's where we may, um, put a saddle on and free run them. Or, you know, depending on the balance, the size, you know, of the horse, how developed they are, maybe a little bit of lunging. And that would be like maximum three days a week that that would go on for maybe six weeks at the most. And then because our winters are pretty brutal, then they go back out and then they come in in there the spring of the three year old year. And then that's when they would, you know, everything gets reintroduced again as if it were new and then that's where we start the, the backing process with, you know, more lunging, um, maybe four or five days in a row, depending on the horse, depending how the development is going. And then, so I just think about it as in, so two-year-old year, we want them to sort of just be used to being handled and and maybe a saddle, maybe a bridle on, um, that they're comfortable with that. The three-year-old year, then all of that, that plus um, by the end of, you know, the fall of that that year of their three-year-old year, they're comfortable with a rider on their back and um, a little bit of steering and, and going around the arena free from the lunge lines. So, And then at, at the end of that year, they go out again. And then in their spring of their four-year-old year, then they learn more riding, you know, of some figures, um, you know, circles, turns, walk, trot, canter, you know, to, to be able to be ridden in their four-year, four-year-old year in a training-level test. That's when we take them out to do their first show. If they're prepared and if they're ready, that's kind of the goal. And then from there, I think, uh, you know, they get ridden through the winter at that point. And again, maybe three, four days in a row um, to a total of maybe five days a week or something like that. And then uh, and then by then, then they're ready to be. So that's usually, you know, I'm doing kind of the four year old stuff. I have somebody else at the farm do the up, up to that point. Because I like them to be a little bit safe when I get on. And, and that rider is, um, you know, I use uh, inventing rider, you know, brave riders that will take them to the first show. Because I'm really getting way less brave in my older age. And then at that point, four years old, five years old, then the owner starts to get on at, at kind of at the end of that year to kind of learn that horse and, you know, get acquainted with him And then the, the owner could show him um, in their five-year-old year. Or maybe I would take one more year to to get the horse ready for an amateur rider. So, that's, that's kind of our program. And I think it's worked really, really well for us. Um, not always do the, do we do the two-year-old stuff? Sometimes the horses are like the really big horses take an extra year. Um, you know, we can delay it for sure, but that's kind of a guideline, a general guideline and in, in how, how it goes and, you know, throughout each year. And I think that's, you know, every horse is an individual, but we try our best with that program.
1: Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's very similar to what we did with my horses when I had a breeding program. Um, I'm even less brave than Phil. Phil <laughs> undersold himself. <laughs> he is very brave, and Phil has done all of these steps. I am even less brave. And, I you know, I think we talked about this uh, when we were doing our, our segment last time, and that is it's okay to say, hey, this isn't my thing. I mean, I really, really like to ride m- more advanced horses third level and above i'm your girl i don't really love it before then that's not it's just not my thing i have not done a ton of it in my career i've done it um you know i i have taken four and five year olds myself um that's when i like to get them for me they have to be able to go to their first show that's sort of like when i'm like okay i'm big mama's ready um before that Mm -hmm. i'm like phil (laughs) i um I have a very, very good team that I send them to. I I would do all the groundwork at my farm. Uh, I have, uh, you know, the Mounted Police from Lexington would come out and they would teach them all sort of ground manners and, and and we would do the grooming and that kind of thing. But then they would go out to the arena and do Mounted Police work and and walk through over tarps and all kinds of stuff, get ropes between their legs and, and that needs to be done with somebody who's very confident with that again, not really what I do. Um, and so they would spend some time with them and then I would send mine to a very good event friend of mine, team CEO eventing. Um, and they had a fantastic team that would take it them from pretty much like I would usually send them of their three-year-old year. I would send them because they already knew how to wear a saddle and a bridle and that kind of stuff. So I personally would also pay to send them to someone that that's all they do. They do it all day long with babies and youngsters and they do a fantastic job. And then I would get them back at the end of their three-year-old turning four-year-old year year and, and they're ready to rock and roll. So that's what I did. Um, my team, you know, at the event riders, oh my goodness, they, they would take them out and they would, you know, walk them over stuff and, you know, put them on the trailer and, and all of that stuff. So that's what I do. Hillary, what do you do?
0: Well, so it's interesting because as much as I, I used to do young horses more um, a, a long time ago, but I got more into, as you were talking about Reese, the older horses and I don't know if, the listeners or you guys know some of the FBI horses that I've taken out in the past five or six years were really really tricky like I got the ride on them because nobody else really could ride them so um which you know the joy of looking at center line scores if you pull it up it's really easy to track <laughs> you see horses I have that is, I would like to imagine that they did better under me um if competing at all but My point to that and what it has to do with young horses is twofold. The first is, you know, the thing that I have always believed, and I don't know if you guys agree, but if you don't start the horses properly, you're going to create issues that will exist forever. And I have always felt that if you have a horse that learns to get away with stuff or is allowed to get away with stuff um, because they intimidate the rider, then even if it seems like you fixed it, Years later, when you put the pressure on, for example, to try to be moving them up in the FEI work, um, it it seems like it can come back for less skilled riders. And so that's where I have sometimes seen horses that I've ended up getting where they've become unmanageable because they seemed really agreeable for, you know, their less skilled owner. Um, And they would do things like instead of being in front of the leg, they would just kind of stop. And so it didn't seem like a big deal, but then when you get someone who pushes them through that and they've been allowed to stop for enough years, then it turns into like a rearing problem. Um, And so it can work through it, but it's sad to me because there's some horses that I think to myself, and this is what got me into wanting to get back to the younger horses. I think, you know, if I could have dealt with this in really the same level of risk when that horse was younger and gotten to them at a younger place it would be interesting to see, you know, what would have come of that if they were never allowed to be like this for five or six years. So, you know, that's my experience. Like you guys are talking about being brave is it, it's can have very long-term consequences. I think, if you're, if you're fooling yourself and saying, yes, I can take care of this. I think it's much smarter to say, I need someone who can be the leader.
1: Oh, I think that in in any horse sport, I mean, there are people that specialize in, in different stages and there is nothing wrong. And I think people like, well, I want to start my horse myself. I completely agree with you. That is a stage. that's really important. And there are people out there that do that every day. And I don't do that every day. I maybe do it once a year. If I, you know, I just, it's not my thing. That's not what I specialize in. And I think, just stepping back and saying, you know what, for this is an investment in my horse. And I think as you get a younger horse, you have to remember you're spending less money at the initial purchase price. At the end of the day, it's all going to cost the same. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can you just repeat that for everyone? (laughs)
3: Yeah, Yeah,
1: no, I, so, so at the beginning, I, and, and I, 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 This horse, everyone's sort of been kind of um, listening about, follow me, we call him Mikey. Same idea, right? This was a younger horse who's been very well started. And I've had no trouble with him, knock on everything, because, you know, he, he had a very good start and then went to a very good place. And then I grabbed him, you know, he's four. So, you know, I've had no trouble with him because he was well started. But this is a stage where a lot of problems can start for a long time. And I always feel like at the end of the day, you're going to spend the same amount of money, no matter what it is. So if yeah. you're going to get a younger horse, you have to know you're going to have to, or you breed it or you get a fall. You're going to have to just say, I. there is money that's going to have to be spent on training. So that it's yeah. the same amount of money, you just have it over time. So yeah. I just think as a young horse, you have to no, you're going to spend the money. You just have to spend it, you know, you just have to say, okay, in In training. training
2: If you're not an expert, you haven't done it. You go look at trained horses, the money that they're worth is due to the, down to their training. And this is the horse I want because it does second level and someone's trained at the second level. Well, that's where the, you know, that's where the money goes, right? Right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily born with that quality, but just returning to Hillary's point, I have had horses that, um, have come up with a problem you know, like, uh, let's, let's say there's a horse that has a tendency in the beginning to rear a little bit, um, or a lot that never necessarily goes away, right? So you make it calm, you ride it, you, you do your best, you, you teach it. But sometimes with horses, like whenever you pressure that horse, it returns to that problem. Does that does that make sense? Yes, yes,
1: Guys, it, it is a you know, lifelong you know, problem. Some
2: some things are in, instinctive. I truly believe that and it's not necessarily the training. Um, you know, the, the, those types of horses have to you have to spend a lot of extra time with, and you go slow on them, and you do your best. But there there is you know maybe it's one out of a hundred horses, one out of two hundred horses, something like that, where they're they're just they figure something out, right? And, like, for instance, I have a horse, one of my own horses. Um, he learned as a young horse that he could break cross ties. Well, I, you know, I trained him. I had him for so many years forever. And, you you know, to this day, he's still alive. He's retired. But to this day, you can put him in cross ties. And some days, he'll just decide he wants to leave, and he'll just snap those cross ties. He yeah. knows he can do it. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the way it is. I, I'm not necessarily, like you know there's there's a part of the training in there but there's also just part of like it's kind of a little bit like his personality he just does that thing so yeah there's yeah. no guarantees you know that you have a horse that it's you know just a blank slate and then you just you know write your your record for the horse's life on it's you know th- these little things happen it's the little personality quirks they come with them sometimes and and um yeah you know, I'm not, you know yeah, I'm not exactly sure what you do about it sometimes you just accept it and you find a way to train that horse and you know to hillary's point when you have a beginning and you can you know that thing about him, then you accept that thing and you find your way early how to how to how to deal with that kind of a problem and and how to deal with your horse and then you know and then you can train it all the way to wherever you want to go with it, and and you know, I can only push this far, and then something is going to happen. You know, nervous horses are like that. You know that you know I have to be you know a little bit careful, about, but at least at least you know about it, and at least yeah. you know how to deal with it, and can yeah. you know, find trainers and and help. For well, those it doesn't issues. escalate. But they're not all right? that perfect. Yeah,
1: exactly. It doesn't escalate. It doesn't become a huge issue, and and it is just it's just a stage in the game where you know I always encourage people to you know if somebody brings me a three year old, huh. I'm going to call Phil or I'm going to call my friend Megan and say, hey, this is not my thing. And I'm a professional. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's good to say, it's good to know that sort of as, as you get a young horse, I think it's really important to think, okay, if I'm not really good at breaking, it doesn't mean you can't be there every day. It doesn't mean you can't participate. Um, I have one horse, Denali. You know, I bred him. I, I was there when he was born. Um, I still have him. Uh, the girl that, that broke him did 30 days on him. And then I took him over and I I felt great on him ever since. Uh, Then I had two fillies that they were hot tamales. And I was like, yeah, mm -hmm, no, I don't want them back for a while. And so, (laughs) you you know, I just you want you got to be realistic with your skills and know where you're good and where you're not. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as you buy a young horse, it's just really important that you factor that cost in because there is a cost to sending them to be broken. There is a cost if you do want to have somebody come and do groundwork. There's a cost for that. So yeah. no, I just think it's important to know that and factor that in and not think you're you're doing that. So.
2: And I try, I try well, to tell people, you know, with the, with the adult amateurs that are, you know, out maybe looking at a three or four-year-old horse and, you know, say to me, oh, I can save a little bit of money there and I can you know have the horse with training you know in training with you for you know a you know a year or two I'm totally cool with that that's great and we agree that's great but I'm still going to go out and buy the horse that has the best temperament Mm -hmm. you know not get all caught up in. you know there's lots of fancy bloodlines and you know big black totalist horses and they're they're not all created equal in temperament either you know That, Mm that and that to me is the most important thing because you know, you can, you can train a horse to, to be more flashy and to build muscle and, you know, do a lot of things, but you can't necessarily change its temperament. You can't change the way that horse thinks and reacts. And so, again, I think this is the most most important thing. And when you're buying a foal, you know, bring somebody or know somebody who knows bloodlines and says, you know, that horse creates really good amateur horses, maybe not super flashy, maybe not, you know, but, but a horse that you're going to end up riding when it's five and six and then continue riding until it's 15 and you can enjoy the horse for a long time but i think a lot of people with young horses get caught up in flash and pizzazz and bloodlines and oh this is by you know whatever stallion that's famous at the moment and this is by villegro or whatever and and that's a, a problem a lot
0: of you know? the bloodlines that i'm you know as i'm looking it's amazing to me that as i talk more and more to people who've seen some of the unproven stallions that are trending at the moment it seems to me like a lot of the stallions that are trendy when you talk to someone who's seen them they're like you know that's a pretty hot stallion it'll be interesting what the false temperament is before you look and so it's interesting to me that there's a lot of horses that are showing up quite a bit and then when you talk to people who've seen the stallion it's like you know they're talking about it in ways that you they're saying really look at the false temperament make sure that it seems suitable for you so I yeah. think it's easier oh, than yeah. not to come upon that, you know, especially these days, I don't know, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, but I think it's very easy now to get a horse that has bloodlines that are very recognizable but can be a very hot horse. Yeah. And that's
1: pretty absolutely. widely known now, right? That's yeah, absolutely. pretty widely I mean, all known. All the
2: horses in the in in the top shows and you know, mm-hmm. those are ridden by professional riders who need a certain mm-hmm. quality to to be to get the top scores in the world, they need to be super flashy. They need to be a little bit hot, and that's not necessarily it's a, a horse crazy. that's going to be for
0: really
2: for everyone. You yeah, know?
0: yeah.
1: And
2: so, you know. I
3: think you have
1: to remember too what's the end game. You know, if you buy a young horse, what is your end game? You know, my end game is I would like a top sport horse, but as I get older, I would also like to not ha- own a killer. You know what I mean? I don't want to go to a show and be be worried that my my little you know, horse is a beast, you know, I, I mean, you know, some, some temperament is fine, but you know, and you have to really find a horse that has a good character and that that's coming from three professional riders. And if if it is a killer and you can't walk it around the arena, when you look at it, you know, it's going to take a long time to get it there and, and think what you want to do. If ever, you know, I've
2: had more experience with horses, hot horses that you look at them and you say, wow, that's an FBI horse. And never make can't it because you ring. can't train them. Yeah, you can't yeah. get them in the trailer. You know,
1: they got to get Well, the they trailer. just won't accept gotta the, gotta the daily
2: training. You know, that's the yeah. most important yeah. thing in our sport. We have to, you know, especially if if the horse and rider are learning together a little bit too, you know, it's a repetition. You know, though you need a horse that's smart enough to learn, but not smart enough to take over and try and do things himself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think you it's. Know? And
2: important. in the end, like if the trot's not a 10, who cares? If it's fun to ride and you can show St. George and. Whatever, you know, like, I think that's where people get caught up and it, it, it makes me frustrated. It's more fun. Yeah, if you well, have I, horse got, you can I ride got a little story. You don't story. need to lunge yeah. it for 20 minutes every yeah. day until it's 13 years old. That's a pain in the butt.
0: Well, and I have well, a story. Well, and the quietest horse, too, that you're going to talk about, if it's your first CDI, you're going out to the quietest horse in the world will start to lean towards a ten trot at its first CDI. I mean, sure. get into the the Dixon sure. Oval at Devon, and you don't have to worry about your horse
1: being energy, lazy. energy, right?
2: Yeah, you yeah, know, you don't the environment here, create so. a little energy for you.
1: Well, and I've shared, you know, here that I don't love, you know, the young horse things. Well, you know, I bought this horse, and I bought it from my trainer in Germany. And we went to our first show in Wellington, and he looked at me, and the horse was, I mean, he wasn't being naughty, but he was definitely nervous, right? But it's his first show. Of course, gonna be nervous. And and Michael said to me, he has a really good character. You're going to be okay. And you know what? When he said that, I was like, you're right. He is it has a very good character it's it's the best thing about my young horse he is so kind and sweet and really just wants to do what he sold and he was right and so we everybody calmed down and we did our thing and we did a good job but he was right that was the best thing he could have said to me is that horse has a great character it's the best that thing about horse, that horse
2: you can rely on it yeah yep. you know because yep. it, it is dangerous for everybody you know at, at a certain yeah. point and we, yeah, we want to have fun too. And I want to have fun training my clients' horses and, and so on and my own horses and so on and so forth. So, you know, I take a horse with a little little bit better character and maybe not so flashy in the movement and then just do the training and see where you go, right?
0: Yeah. I think that's my
2: conclusion about our conversation here, you know?
0: Well, I think and the, the last thing I want to add is I was at dinner with a bunch of people who do have experience with the younger horses and everything. And it was interesting because... um they were talking about how there's different trainers for different horses and you can pick between horses that are, um, you know, specializing or trainers who specialize in horses that are a little more difficult ones that just need a little more confidence. So even people who really have a lot of young horses quite a bit, um, they even pick and choose between, um, people to start their horses and it's not always the same person. So that really makes you realize how good you have to be at managing the young horses.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't That's think true. there's anyone who's perfect at, at you know at everything, and um, some people really like mares a little better. Some people like stallions a little better. You know, like the horse and rider have to suit in whatever situation, so that the horse can do his best job, and and the trainer can do his best job at what they do. So I think yeah, it's
3: uh,
1: love it. Love it. Just remember factors. your end goal. Yeah, just remember that end goal. Well, Hillary, thank you so much for coming back on the show and, and doing some young horse questions. If anybody has any more questions you want the three of us to tackle about young horses, uh, we welcome it, as
0: always. So Hillary, how do our listeners find you online? So um, if they are interested in more questions with the young horses that we can talk about more, uh, they can always find me just on Facebook and send me a private message. Uh, if they're interested, there are some great articles on Facebook Uh, starting young horses just informationally for people uh, at dressagetoday.com and you can easily find that by subject Um, and then you can just check us out on social media at facebook and twitter
1: i love it well thank you so much hillary and we look forward to next month yes oh phil i really enjoyed that discussion that we all had um and we are going to come back with a fantastic interview from angela jackson and rebecca mingary right after this commercial break from kentucky performance products
0: This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com.
3: The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Managing horses can be challenging. Each horse's personality affects the way he behaves and reacts to the world around him. Horses with certain dispositions can be at higher risk for developing health problems than others. High-strung or excitable horses are easily stressed, but so is the timid, quiet warrior. Stressed horses are more likely to develop digestive upsets that lead to colic, diarrhea, and ulcers. Nalox Advanced was specifically developed to support a digestive tract that is under stress. It sustains proper pH levels, reducing the incidence of ulcers and hindgut imbalances, while simultaneously supporting the healing of damaged tissue. Nalox Advanced supports the complete digestion of starches and sugars and sustains populations of beneficial bacteria. Make life a little easier on your sensitive horse and start him on Nalox Advanced today. To learn more about the ingredients in Nalox Advanced, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com.
1: Well, tonight, I am so excited for our North American Young Rider Championships wrap-up show to have Angela Jackson and Rebecca Mangary on tonight. Welcome, girls. Hi, thank you. Oh, we're so excited. So we're doing sort of a roundtable discussion tonight. Angela Jackson is a friend of mine and a fellow trainer in Kentucky and is well known for her young horse training and young rider training and FEI training. And Rebecca Mingary has uh, done young riders for several years now gone through the program and you guys have done it together. And I just love your all story. So I wanted to just start the interview. Rebecca, tell us, how did you find Angela and when, how old were you? And how did you start into the program with Angela? So I was about 13 years old. Uh,
4: when I started taking clinic lessons with Angela, uh, she came in a couple times a year and, uh, I had my little Morab that I'd get lessons on with her. And then uh, when I was about 14, uh, I got my horse Unico. And from there, uh, I had him for a year at home. And then I transferred to Angela full time. Uh, She took over training as he was about training first level horse. And I wanted to do young riders with him you know, in the future. So Angela took him on and, uh, I came down to her house whenever possible. Um, I was about two and a half hours away. So I got to go on long weekends or school breaks or summer vacations. And I essentially lived with her for about six years during that time. (laughs) And it was a lot of fun and I learned a lot and it was pretty incredible.
1: So Angela, tell us, give us your version of when Rebecca came, because she was a mini when she came, right?
5: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> she kind of stood out when I started giving clinics in the uh, Louisville area, and um, she had this little Morgan cross that was really cute. And actually, I recall really she was uh, my experience was at a show we were um, and. Her horse had choked at the show. I don't, I'm pretty sure she remembers this, (laughs) but um, so she was just devastated and crying. And and I was like, oh my cry, for crying out loud, we have to do something. She still had her equitation class to do. And all I had at the show was a four-year-old giant, about 17 hands. And here was Rebecca, the little peanut. (laughs) And uh, I approached uh, her father and I said, well, I said, I don't know if it's possible, but she can ride my horse in the equitation class. I, you know, he won't do anything. He's a sweet guy. And so, um, they rushed to the show office and, uh, I don't, I think you were 13, Rebecca, is that correct? I can't remember quite how old you were, but so we rushed to the show office and they got the entry, you know, they got it all done and she was allowed to ride. And so I put her on this big four-year-old, um, warm blood and, she just smiled from one ear to the other, and she was going around the ring, extended trot. And I'm standing on the sideline, like, slow down, slow down, slow down. <laughs> and she had a blast, and just grinning from ear to ear. And uh, she won her class, I believe it was with an eighty percent in equitation. And uh, that's pretty much the first time uh, <laughs> I I I knew that we're going to have to do something with this kid. So uh, I think that is my memory of her where she started to stand out uh, to me.
1: I love it. So Angela, tell us a little bit about your program and how you were sort of able to incorporate your Rebecca Cumming. And I mean, that's, a, that's actually, I think people downplay that. But from a trainer's perspective, when you get a 13-year-old, I mean, that's a, it's actually a big commitment also for trainers. So you tell us a little bit about that part.
5: Um, I think it all depends on the kid, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think um, they have to be a little barn crazy. Um, (laughs) So as we all know, it takes a lot of work. And um, Rebecca was just one of those kids in the summer. She would spend every weekend. And I have to say her parents are very dedicated Mm-hmm. And made it possible for her. I mean, they would drive her out here two and a half hours, and drive back home, and then drive back out here two and a half hours, picking her back up, and drive her back home. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it takes that kind of commitment. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm one of those people. I'm a little direct. So <laughs> when- you were wonderful. <laughs> So so when um, Bill kind of asked me, what would we have to do? My daughter wants to do North American uh, Junior Young Rider Championships. And I said, well, I said, first, we're going to have to get her a horse that can actually do the job. Um, and then we're just going to have to put her on a program and do step by step. And I laid it a little bit out to him and I said, there are no quick fixes. So this is what you have to do. and uh, it- if you're willing to take these steps, I'm pretty sure we can get it done.
1: Can you give us a quick rundown of what, what those steps are? I think that's hard for parents to sort of know, like, this is not, like you just said, it's, it's, it's a process. It's going to take a long time. Yeah. It's years it, it is. to get them there.
5: Yes, it does take years. And I, I, as I am training also young horses, it's, I'm a big believer in the training scale, but I'm also a big believer in, uh, correct riding. And I think that it's not necessarily that they have to have a fancy horse in the beginning. It's more important that they learn correct riding on equitation. And I'm a big fan of feeling. I, when you take lessons with me, I will often ask the girls, um, is it feeling as good as it looks? What do you feel? You know, I ask them for, um, a feedback to me so sometimes it's deceiving it's not all about the outline it's also about a feel and I think that the kids that I took on also have good feel and um, they have to learn that and I think in the beginning it's not as clear to them they only see they want to ride a flying change or they want to ride in a double bridle and it's it's not that important it's more about the correctness of a straight horse and an even horse and an even seat and an even feeling and that's what i try to teach in the beginning and i keep even my um i would say my wording different Uh than once they're more educated once they're more educated we can use all the fancy words like engagement and um, collection and self-carriage But in the beginning, that doesn't make any sense to the kids. So I try to not even use those words. I throw them in there and I I tell them at the end that's what it will become. But I try to keep it simple so they can understand it first. And it is a process. And each horse and each each kid learns at a different pace.
1: Yes. Yes. So, you know, take us through Rebecca. You you started working uh, then. You went to juniors, right? How did that work? I mean, you've gone through the whole program now. Am I, am I correct with that? Yes. So
4: um, Angela got Unico up to third level um, the year before I did juniors, and I got to ride through the test, you know, qualify for regionals towards the end of the year so that I had a feeling of how it would work uh, so I could be more prepared the next year. And then uh in 2012 was the first year that I did juniors and it was a lot of fun. We made it to the freestyle and so we had a blast. Um and then the next year we also made it to juniors again, and uh the following or and then at the end of that year we got up to Pre St. George and we wrote it um before regionals kind of thing again so that I could have a feeling for. The following year to do young riders um and then that was the last year with unico and then uh i actually went to germany the year after i studied abroad and i got to ride over there which was a lot of fun right
1: and, and uh, angela did you, was angela, angela did you help rebecca kind of with that process or how did that work
5: yeah when she told me that she had an opportunity to go and study uh, abroad Um, I was uh, finding out how much time she could actually spend in Germany. So we've had a discussion to either try out for uh, North American again that year and or do just uh, forget and, and just put North American to rest for this one year and take the opportunity to actually be a working student and she was, she, uh, I was lucky enough to get her in with a uh, Ritter and then also, uh, with Klaus Balkenhol, which I think she enjoyed very much and learned a lot. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yes. Take, take it <laughs> back, Rebecca, take it back. Then what happened in your career?
4: Yeah. So then, uh, while I was in Germany, uh, Angela also got me a job with, uh, Casey Dunn, who's a breeder in Southern Indiana. Uh, she's got incredible horses, and uh, she owned or she owns Allure S, uh, who was the mare that Angela rode through the Developing Horse Program and who I got to ride for Young Riders this year. Um, so when I came back in January, I got to start working there. And Angela still had Allure, so I got to ride her daughter, Elzarma, who was going to be a seven year old. And so I took her to Young Riders in Colorado. Um, at the end of last year, and that was that was incredible. I mean, she was a seven-year-old, and we had a lot of fun. She ended up getting a silver medal in the freestyle, and it was just a really incredible year. And then this year, I got the opportunity to qualify with both horses, with both Zarma and Allure. Um, I took over the ride with her so that I could hopefully do U25 with her next year. So we had kind of a prep year. And uh, so I took Allure to New York this year, and uh, she did really awesome too.
1: Yeah, so, and, and we- Angela, you and Allure have quite a, an awesome history. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Allure, the horse that Rebecca rode this year, you've had you had her a long time, right? Uh, yeah, she came to me as a
5: five-year-old, um, in the fall of a five-year-old year, uh, Casey Dunn, the owner, um, she approached me and asked if I could take her through the young horse program. And, uh, so she came and she's, uh, she was a rather tall, uh, skinny horse at the time, not skinny in that way, but, you know, just still a juvenile young horse, typical young horse. And um, I fell in love with her right away. She, you could tell that she was certainly something special. Um, And yeah, she, uh, I did the six year olds and um, we did very well. She was a reserve champion at, for the uh, world young horse qualifier at the CDI at Lamplight that year. Um, So she, she, was definitely something I could see right from the start that she was something special. Then we did developing PSG the following year at a seven year old. Um, and then I actually went um, to do a little more studying for myself. I went and worked with Klaus Bakkenho for three months in the horses. All my horses kind of had three months off. And when I came back, um, we had a little issue which was the horse, the horse had went to another trainer and that didn't quite go. They didn't click like her Mm -hmm. and I clicked. Sure. So I had a little, um, repairing to do. Uh, but then we came back strong the following year. She, um, she went, um, won the U S finals. Uh, we were obviously regional champions and then went to U S. The finals in Lexington in November and she was uh, I won freestyle champion um, she was horse of the year she was um, pre-St. George champion so yeah I took her to Gladstone uh, to festival of champion and then uh, took her back the following year to do the developing Grand Prix which she graduated out of the whole young horse program um, and that was pretty incredible taking a horse you know, through the young horse to the developing program and then graduating at the Grand Prix with her. That was pretty special.
1: Absolutely. And then, and then, you know, seeing Rebecca Ryder, what was that like? I mean, you guys have really sort of as a whole team just developed and, and yeah. changed. That's pretty cool.
5: I'm, I'm very thankful for Casey to be so supportive. She has a wonderful breeding program out, uh, in Cordon, Indiana, and, um, it, it just ended up working out perfectly Uh, that she needed a a trainer and I'm far away and it's really difficult to send that many horses out to my place. Uh, It just made sense that the horses should be staying at her farm and it's also more cost effective, obviously. And uh, I was just delighted to uh, give Rebecca the ride. And uh, I hope that we can do the U25 next year uh, to add more well, let's call it little diamonds in her crown. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Allura, yes, Allure is the queen of the barn. And, uh, I mean, she just added two more FEI medals to uh, to the count. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. And so, so that's obviously uh, next on the list uh, for this incredible horse. And Rebecca is doing a fantastic job. And just to go back to make, what made me very proud last year was that um, she took over uh, the seven-year-old uh, and and took a seven-year-old to North American that that in my opinion was pretty special the horse was mm-hmm. the youngest horse there um, I knew Rebecca had the nerve and the skill to do this um, when not everybody believed in it and I and, and reassured everybody that the horse could do it and that Rebecca could do it and that they would just be fine and uh, you know to even come home with a with an FEI medal at the end of it with a seven-year-old I think is it's testament on yeah. how good of a rider she really is and how far along she's
1: come. And it makes me very proud as, as a trainer. Oh, it's, it's a fantastic story and I, I love it. So, so for our final question for you both, um, Rebecca, what would you say as you're going through, I mean, you guys have had an amazing relationship and I'm, I'm sure there's been hard times and great times and, know what would you give advice if somebody said you know i want to find a trainer and i'd like to be with this trainer for years and have them develop my career you know what would your kind of piece of advice be for the student on that Um, i would
4: say so for angela she is a very special person she will never tell you what you want to hear she's going to tell you exactly what you need to hear and she's going to be there for the benefit of you and the horse. You know, never once have I come to her and asked her a question and worried about if my best interest was at heart because I know it always is. And so for it's been a really special relationship because I've heard of a lot of trainers and young riders. You know, as the young rider grows up, you know, the trainer sometimes still sees them, you know, as the kid, or whatever, but Angela has been a huge supporter of me and she's been there every step of the way, you know, mentoring me how I need to. And she's watched me grow up and she, you know, looks at me like a younger professional. You know, she, I'm not just a little kid anymore, which has been uh, very helpful for me. Um, so I would say to anybody looking for a trainer, you know, find somebody who's well respected, somebody who you know, has a good reputation and always puts, you know, your best interest at heart and somebody who has definitely had the success themselves, you know, obviously Angela brought Allure all the way up and, you know, other horses the same. So she
1: can turn me into that kind of rider as well. Awesome, I love it. So, Angela, same question for you, but coming from you know the trainer's perspective. I mean, how do you, how would you sort of advise a rider and/or parents of that relationship and how it's gonna gonna develop over time? I again,
5: I think it's a little bit of a connection that has to happen. Um, For me, what is most important is that the person is genuine and that. they have to be committed to this. This is too hard to just come in. If you're doing it for making uh, the magazine or getting the ribbon, then you're in for a disappointing ride, I think. I think it has to be for the love of the sport, for the love of the horse, and you have to be committed on the long-term. The students I have, as well as the clients I have, I think I stress the long-term goal and that sometimes a short-term goal um, is not that important. So if a parent would come to me and say, hey, you know, I see what you've done with your students, um, I need for them to trust me and to trust their trainer, whoever they go to, um, that it is the long path to success that will make them the trainers and, and the riders they want to be. It's not necessarily the short, like only looking to the next step. It's looking all the way to the end where you want to go. Um, and, they, and they have to understand that they will be up and down. Um, but the, I would say make sure that you have the long term in mind and not just the next
1: step. That's fantastic. I love it. Well, ladies, just for our listeners, um, if uh, they would like to find you online, Angela, how would our listeners find you online? Um, well, I don't advertise. <laughs> I'm
5: not the most social person. So um, probably via Facebook is an easy way to find me and or just, uh, you know, send me an email. Awesome. That's probably another way to find me. I, I don't have really advertisements, so I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> That's okay. Perfect, Rebecca. How would um, uh, we find you online and uh, and uh the the horses that you work and Casey Dunn, who you work for? How would we find you? Um. So the same
4: thing for me. Probably Facebook would be the best. Uh, our farm, Timbuck Farm, also has a Facebook page, and so yeah, that would probably be the best way of getting a hold of me.
1: Awesome. Thank you, ladies, so much for your time tonight.
4: Thank, Thank you. you so
1: much, Reese.
0: This week's Dressage Training Tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com.
1: Well, for this week's Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week, Phil, we've got a good one, don't we?
2: Yeah, well, we answered a question not too long ago about simple changes and our um, our, our listener uh, wrote us back and, and was talking a little bit about it. So um, I'm going to just kind of read the message that we got sent to us. Um, she says she should be having much more success with the simple changes since we, since we tackled that on the show last week. Um, she found that thinking about the two phases of the Candor stride very helpful and also a bit, a bit of permission that we gave her to use her rain aids and and the bit a little bit to uh to help the horse get the idea that you can't just run through the transition downwards into the walk so that was good i think and then it took a couple of corrections and and a little better timing and the simple changes have been going a lot better so there's a follow-up question now for us reese we're gonna have to tackle this i love it she's been having much more success with the simple changes um which is good And now how do I apply my new feeling for the two phases in the canter stride in order to get the timing better for the flying changes? And how does, you know, how do we get the timing right and, and relate to the flying changes from our discussion on simple changes? So do you think you can start tackling that?
1: Yes, I am happy to start tackling that one. I will just say, I'm not a hundred percent sure if this horse knows flying changes So it seems seems
2: like from the message that the horse has done them, and she's using simple changes, better simple changes to go back at them uh, later on.
1: Got it. Okay, that 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 gives me a little clearer picture. I was a little confused. Um, so one thing that I would say is going just back to the simple changes. Um, I'm a super. uh, For me, the simple changes have to be almost perfect. Um, for flying changes, this is if your horse knows flying changes. Also, if you're teaching flying changes, simple changes can be very important. And one of the things that I would say is make sure not only do you have a crisp half-fault toward the downward in the in the simple change, but make sure you have a crisp upward because I think that happens also in the in the simple changes, like you have a nice walk and then you canter and then you get more activity. So I think that be, can become an issue as you go for the flying changes, if the horse knows the flying changes. So I would say as you're riding your upwards, uh, that you're equally as crisp about asking the horse to jump and be active into the upward transition. I would also make sure that the horse is staying through in the upward transition, uh, and I just say that because we talked a lot about the downward transition, but not a lot about the upward transition. And in my mind, flying changes mirror uh, the quality of canter, right? So that's another thing that I think you have to be careful and, and that we have to mention going toward flying changes is making sure that the horse has a really solid, clear um, half halt for the um, activity into the canter, um, the basic canter and that the horse is straight and basically that you've gone through the scale of training, because if you haven't going toward flying changes, that become anything that is wrong in the, or, or, or not perfect in the scale of training is going to be an issue going to the flying changes. So that's the one thing Phil that I would say for setting the groundwork on the flying changes, um, is, is important. Does that make sense, Phil? You see where I'm going with that? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was. It's a good discussion because um, I was teaching flying changes um, this week. So one thing that I tell all of my students when we're coming to teaching the flying changes is to really try and do a simple change with only one stride of walk. So the horse gets, re- you know, the horse and rider get really quick about their aids and really making the horse listen quickly to the half halt. Then the, you know, and then the, the change of leg. So, you know, with the, riders, you know, moving their new, um, outside leg back to ask for the, the canter stride. So I think it's a really, uh, a tricky timing thing. What do you think about that Reese?
1: Oh yeah. No, I think that's the biggest thing actually with flying change. It's all about timing, right? If the timing is quality and solid, the flying change is solid. If that makes sense. Now you also have to think what are the aids for the horse's flying change, uh, and that's also why people get in trouble, I think, with flying changes. They either uh, have used way too much body language, aka throw their body around. Uh, I think especially when you're green learning flying changes or you're teaching flying changes, it, you have a tendency to want to shake and bake in the saddle is what I say. It's like, just sit still. Um, it really is just a change of your leg aids and your seat aids and riding a half halt. So the change, people make a big deal about the actual flying change it's not that's actually not the place to make a big deal uh today i was also teaching someone flying changes we were working on it and actually the horse every time from right to left would absolutely lean on the rider's left leg and i said to her i said that's the problem it's not the change the change is not the problem the problem's happening before so it's really important as you go to looking at your flying changes and that's what I mean about the scale of training. That's the roadmap, right? If you're having trouble with contact or, or the moving off your leg or whatever it is, that's actually where you go and fix. And then you can go back and work on the flying changes. I will say also, flying changes, and we stress this here on the show because this is this is one of those moments where you need someone that sort of knows what they're doing. Uh, because
2: Or even just change, eyes on the ground. Or help even eyes on you the figure ground figure out what's yeah. going on. Right. Exactly. So even though I've, I've trained you know, horses to do the flying changes, I almost always do it yes. for like a month only with somebody watching because you can't always yes. figure out what's going on and what's the problem. Yes, so
1: it's true. Their are legs flying everywhere sometimes. And you're like, ah, uh,
2: yeah. And um, you're like, was that okay? Or is that clean? You know, every yeah, horse clean? has yeah. a unique way doing a flying chain. And so you really yes. want to be, you know, going on the right track and rewarding the right things and figuring out where, you know, exactly how the legs are going. And even though I ride in the arena w- with mirrors, you can't just always just, you know, it. focus and see because you got so much going on. And and like you said, lots happening all at once that, you know, you have to have a video or something just to say that was good. Reward the horse that maybe not as clean, go back and do it again, you know, so that's, that's a yeah, huge and thing, I, you know, having you. I don't... eyes.
1: I don't think a video can do it because the problem mm-hmm. is you need the time you need right then and there. They need a real time response for if was the change clean was the horse and for, um, you know, what's happening. Are they clean behind what, whatever's going on? You got to have somebody, uh, even professional riders have people because that is a time that you can get into trouble. And if you teach flying changes wrong, it's very, very hard to retrain them. It can be done, but ugh. Um, so, yes, that's really important. So uh, those are just some steps. I mean, flying changes, we could do 50 shows and I would we did a great show with Lee Tubman about flying changes. And I would just say go back and listen to that that show as well, because um, that was a great one and a great discussion on flying changes uh, yeah. that could also help use some of the resources we have here. But just a quick review, make sure your upwards are good, make sure your downwards are good and your simple changes. And I loved how Phil said, make mm-hmm. sure you know, do it within one stride.
2: Yeah, do it quickly, right? Do it quickly because the flying change is even faster than one. If you can't accomplish that, it's it's not going to work. And again, just to try to answer the specific question of our listener, because I don't think we have tackled that so much. She asked when in the phase of the the collection and the give of the canter do we want to ask for the change. And I'm going to tell you, it's right after you collect the horse. So you take the reins, give the collect, and then you you move your leg or a little push with your seat, or you know, right you know right in the horse's hind legs are on the ground, then you're going to pick up the new canter stride. So when you're getting, if you have no contact, you can't make the change of balance to to tell the horse to, you know, bring the other lead. I think hopefully that kind of makes sense to you. Does that make sense to you, Reese?
1: Yeah. 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 It's in, and, in, and, and I think you said, when you say within the collect that you're also saying within the half halt, giving the half halt it's on the, yeah. it's on the phase of the actual take back. Then the release is when the horse steps through. Correct.
2: Yeah. 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 That's cool. So well, we'd love it. it. It's not always successful, right? Because again, yeah, it's, it's not always just, successful. It's a very quick split second thing. you know. I think if you yeah. have your horse really listening to the half alts, then it can work. But if your horse is blowing through the half alts,
1: yeah, it you're will done.
2: never work. because It won't work. You have to kind yeah. of interrupt the rhythm for a half a second or a microsecond to, to be able to get the quick change of hind legs. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just a slowness problem most people have is just yeah. trying to think while they do it. And you can't think and do it. You have to just do it.
1: Yeah it's just flying changes are also personal for people too everybody teaches them a little different everybody has a little bit different feel um so but we hope that helps it's
2: sorry it's, it's- i was just going to bring a little antidote that uh, charlotte dujardin you know her favorite rider in the world <laughs> says that carl hester can't do ones on Vallegro. <laughs> you know like that's, that's i mean i've mm-hmm. every i think all, all the top riders you know you can't just switch horses and do do flying changes and you know even highly trained grand prix horses and you know it's just they are very personal between horse and rider
1: yep they're very very personal that isn't that funny some of the top rider in the world top horse same training system he still can't you know can't get it and that's that's not uncommon so yeah but
2: interesting anyways
1: yeah it's really interesting so well we love it as always We love those Facebook and email shout-outs. We try to get to them as much as we can. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com.
2: I think the best way to find me is usually through Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week. Take out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com.
1: Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we'll talk to you next week.